Welcome to Comeback Journeys in Recovery, inspirational interviews with those who are recapturing their peak wellness after a trauma such as an addiction, major accident or illness, or bereavement. We'll also hear from professionals on ways you can regain your own peak wellness. I'm David Shadbolt, and my wish for you is that you'll discover more friendships, confidence, joy, and energy as you lead a more fulfilling life. Episode 5, Recovering After Spinal Cord Injury, a conversation with Mary Jo Fetterly. Mary Jo Fetterly, teacher, therapist, entrepreneur, coach, and project lead for access and inclusion at the Rick Hansen Foundation. A skiing accident in 2004 resulted in a severe spinal cord injury. Despite this, within a year of her accident, she was back teaching yoga from her wheelchair. The recording begins with Mary Jo talking about a miraculous event, my description, not hers, at the age of seven. And I apologise for the occasional poor quality of the recording. Hi, David, and thanks for the great introduction. My childhood was quite interesting. I had a very... um, Curious and, and quite profound experience at seven years old. I was uh, with my sister and a friend. We were climbing on a house that was in construction across the street from our family home. And um, I we were all up on the roof getting a good view of things. And then before long, we were looking down the, the shaft for the chimney, um, which wasn't obviously filled in yet. It was still just framed in. And uh, somehow or other, I fell down that shaft, down three stories of the three-story house and onto the concrete cement uh, poured basement. Um, and at a certain point, I could see my body falling. And from that point forward, I was out of my body watching um, the whole scene. Um, my sister and her, my friend running frantically down um, the the stairs that were somewhat framed in down into the basement, dragging my body out. I was unconscious uh, and bringing me out onto the lawn over the basement steps um, and laying me there and then running over to my family home and um, grabbing whoever was there to come and uh, deal with the situation. So as the ambulance came and um, I was loaded in, I was still hovering far above my body and far above the scene, and at a certain point, as they were driving my body away, I realized I, I better get back in there, and um, so I was then in a coma for three days, and I awoke from that coma perfectly, perfectly, angelically um, unscathed by the whole fall, not a scratch on my body, um, nothing except for me, um, the memory of not just being a physical body. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That is uh, just that's an amazing story and, and, and a wonderful, ex- I mean, a shocking experience, but a traumatic experience, but a wonderful one to have so young in life, I would, I would think. Yes. And, you know, I, I honestly don't, like I've had a few traumatic experiences 
for sure. And that doesn't register at all as traumatic. Um, I was so uh, imbued with light and with love in that state. I couldn't quite, uh, you know, when I, I was um, separated somewhat from, from my physical um, body, there wasn't a feeling of separation or of fear or trauma at all. Wow. So, um, I mean, that's a kind of experience that those of us who have, um, perhaps as we gotten, as we get a little older, have a fear or anxiety about um, the unknown or what might happen when we die, and and perhaps somewhere some existential angst. Uh, pervades our unconsciousness at all times or our consciousness whereas you've had that gift um yeah yeah it's amazing amazing so you uh were living where at the time and and how did you end up in uh, in nelson in in the kootenays well we were um a family of five uh children and we grew up in Kamloops, so that happened in Kamloops, and it was really just booming at the time, and, and we were in quite a, a rural location, hence the reason for all the construction. Um, anyways, after um, I um, left home and whatnot, I gravitated toward, actually, the reason I went to Nelson uh, at 18, um, I was, you know, I, I think subsequent to that experience, I was quite uh, spiritually um, curious and uh, my family was very Roman Catholic and we went to church every Sunday and my father was quite a devoted um, you know practitioner he really was uh, I think a great example in a lot of ways of, of what devotion to a spiritual practice can be um, so I had that great example, and my mom was quite a pioneer in her own right. She actually opened the first yoga center for stress reduction back in the early 70s and became a yoga teacher and a Swami Radha's students in a very um, serendipitous kind of synchronistic chain of events where she had had scoliosis and bad back problems at 40, and nobody said the word yoga, especially if you were Catholic. But in any case, she had gone to the Y and taken a back course, and they asked her if she would teach a yoga class because she took on to the classes very well. And she said, oh, no, I don't know the first thing about it. And they said, well, what if we, you know, pay for you to go down to Victoria to take a course? Well, lucky for her, who was it but none other than Swami Radha, who was the um, founder of the Yasudhara ashrams and, of course, the Kootenai Bay um, retreat center and many across Canada in any case um, so that was kind of what was in around me and when she did that she her, her library went from Thomas Merton books to um, the I Ching and the um, Shivananda books and um, uh, Richard Hindelman's 30 days on yoga and uh, she watched Karine Zebroff every day so I got to kind of be on the shoulder of all of that and certainly when I was, you know, in my early teens, uh, philosophy and yoga, all those kind of books, I would open them and voraciously devour them. So by the time I was 18, I, I decided I was going to go to a Tai Chi retreat, which was the first of its kind in Nelson. 
put on by, at the time, uh, Rex Eastman. Mm -hmm. And I fell in love with Nelson. And so later, 10 years later, when I um, became a single parent with two young girls, I was like, this is where mm -hmm. I want to raise my children. So that's how I ended up in Nelson. And uh, I moved there with my two little babes. Wonderful place to, wonderful place to live, uh, especially raising two young children. And uh, at what point did you start to become or start training yourself to be a yoga instructor? Well, right before I left for um, the Kootenays, which was around uh, 82, um, I took a couple courses. I actually took a couple with my mom, and it was terrible. I was a disaster because it was so slow, and I was this young, you know, gregarious 20-something. Uh, I, after my um, second daughter was born, I was in Kelowna and I stumbled upon a class at the rec center and that was an Iyengar teacher, Margaret Lunam. She was just an amazing teacher. Anyway, she captured my attention and I started practicing Iyengar then for a good 10 years with her and, uh, and then went on to, you know, do quite a bit of training in Iyengar. And you started teaching, and I understand you um, you were the first person to develop um, a Canadian certification program in yoga or a 200-hour course in yoga. Uh, first 200-hour yoga alliance school um, in Western Canada. I think there was one other at the time. Mm-hmm. It was long before there was 200-hour training programs. Now there's hundreds of them. <laughs> yes, you were a pioneer. Um, you, but I also know, because I, I mentioned before your accident, that you were, um, you were very athletic, you rode horses, you skied, you, you were a, a vegetarian cook, I believe, at some uh, hiking mountain camp. Uh, um, you did all those things, correct? And so, and so, um, tell me about the day that uh, this major act, this this event occurred, which changed your life. Well, it was a, it was actually, um, it was January the twenty fifth. Uh, January the twenty fourth, I was doing a photo shoot. Um, ironically enough, which is where some of those quotes on my website come from. So it was the day before my injury um, that I was actually doing a photo shoot for a national um, uh, enterprise. And there was, you know, all sorts of flurry. David, uh, very, very well-known Kootenai photographer, David Glins, was doing them. And we were in, um, uh, you know, Nelson for the day. And it was a beautiful day. And then the day after that day, which would be the Monday, the 27th, I was to fly to Calgary to teach um, our level one and a, a new course that we would be running. And we were teaching, we were doing about, you know, one to two teacher trainings a month uh, at that time, all over BC and Alberta. And we were really busy. And uh, I was um, just feeling like, oh, I just like to go and have a day to myself and in nature. Um, after this photo shoot, and so I, when I went home that night, I uh, um, picked up a 
I went picked up some groceries and I lived out in Proctor so I was driving home so I had the groceries and when I picked the groceries up I was over $30 or something and you can buy um, a ski pass for a reduced rate if you're you know in that um, value so I bought this ticket thinking oh maybe I'll go skiing tomorrow or maybe I'll go skiing sometime soon I hadn't been skiing much that season because I've been so busy with work so anyway, um, the next day, it was beautiful. It was sunny and um, it had, had uh, fresh snow. I thought, oh, I got to go. So I gave my friend a call and said, hey, do you want to go? And so off we went. And it was, you know, very innocent and fun um, day skiing. Really, we skied lots of um, fall lines. We skied in the trees, you know, did a lot of fun runs um, the morning. Uh, went in for lunch and um relaxed and then after lunch um my buddy and I went out and the lineup was super long um uh we got sort of separated in the lineup and so I ended up riding up the chair um about seven or eight chairs ahead of him and at the top of the chair um met another group of people that I hadn't seen in quite a while because as I said I hadn't really been up on the hill much and they were like come with us come ski with us um, so, you know, all in all, leading up to, you know, the injury and the, the, um, the accident was very benign. There wasn't really, I wasn't, you know, in a state of, you know, kind of stressed out, got to go to Calgary work mode. I was quite relaxed and really quite enjoying myself. <laughs> and, you know, these things happen kind of out of the blue, I think, and really, uh, you know, just like my fall uh, at seven, you know, there's, there was no, there was no, in, you know, signs that there was something, you know, amiss. Do you want me to keep going? <laughs> I, I do want you to keep going. Something happened and on, you had that accident. I think your ski caught a route as you were across the top of some slopes, I believe. And uh, is this... Um, is it, you've probably shared this experience many times, but does it bring up some kind of emotion for you as you as you share it? Or um, it, it's it, I I would say surely it, it brings up feeling, but but emotion you know no because um, emotion is kind of stuck feelings and and you know, in the past. Um, but I, I feel when I'm speaking of it, you know, definitely there's a probably, a, you know, some sort of a excitement or a, a sense of, of, of what that was for me at the time in the moment, for sure. Um, and yes, it changed my life dramatically. Um, however, you know, there's no emotion, you know, in the sense of um, I've done the grieving. I've done a lot of the the work around, you know, the emotionality of the loss. Mm -hmm. How the anger and all those those kinds of issues that must have come up, I would think. Uh, I want to um, I want to ask you, if you will, when you were when it happened, you had a sense of something dramatic um i don't know if it was pain physical pain but you had a a sense of um 
suffocation, I understand, and, and you were able to prevent panic or prevent or allow your, the, you to, yourself to breathe through use, using some of the yoga techniques that you had. Um, or am, am I wrong here? Or You're accurate. Um, quadriplegia is um, generally um, a, a chain of events when it happens that occur in the body. Um, most of our um, innervation for our physicality um, comes through um, a very major plexus, which is right at the neck. And when that is um, either altered or injured or um, in trauma, then the motor nervous system is, is knocked out. And a lot of our breathing uh, mechanisms are um, innervated and, and operated through the motor uh, sensory motor system. So when um, someone breaks their neck and also the spinal cord is involved, such as it was with me um, in the severance, um, those more um, motor autonomic nerves are, are shut down. Sorry, not autonomic, the motors. So yes, I had to really, I, I had to grapple with that immediately. Um, as my body kind of landed in this very, very um, violent and sort of um, brutal catapult that had happened after I had hit this rock and this tree branch. Um, so when the instantaneous break of the neck and the um, sort of, the, it was like a, um, a jackknife break on my spinal cord. So the spinal cord was pinched and impeded. The breathing stopped right away. Now, like anybody who has a big fall, one would assume that the wind was knocked out of you because you just don't think of paralysis or broken neck. So that was my first um, kind of, you know, response was, oh, my God, I, I, you know, I've had the wind knocked out of me. And because I was an athlete and I did a lot of sports, I had a very chronic um, left shoulder that dislocated. And it had happened a few times before on the ski hill. So I was kind of going on that basis of, of my body association memory that I must have dislocated my shoulder. So I wasn't immediately thinking of paralysis for sure. I was thinking, I got to get my body breathing and my shoulders knocked out. I can't do anything. So I just immediately went into the zone um, of just consciously slowing my breathing down uh, although it wasn't quite there anyways, but it just slowing my mind down so that I could actually tap into the breathing and then changing the sort of <laughs> kind of stuff that was happening into more, more ujjayi breath and very slowly over time this sort of panic kind of gasping turned into a deep throat ujjayi breath. And, and uh, I'm sure for a lot of um, medical, you know, um, People, they would understand that that was probably what kept any brain injury from happening because a lot of people with quadriplegia often suffer a little bit of brain injury due to the fact that there is the impediment to the breathing and the oxygenation to the brain. So I was lucky and very grateful for yoga in that moment. When you, you, you were flown or medevaced uh, to GF Strong, I understand, in, in Vancouver and the what was the initial diagnosis or what was a prognosis 
for you for the um, for your future life? Well, it was pretty grim. I can you know say that I, I was actually ironically enough because of the new liberal government, I wasn't medevaced right away. I was stabilized in Nelson, and then I was ambulance-driven to Cranbrook, which is a long four-and-a-half-hour drive. Uh, from Cranbrook, I was flown to the Vancouver International Airport. From the Vancouver International Airport, I was heli-flown um, um, to the pad on the top of the VGH Tower, where the crucial um, and um, intense... Um, uh, spinal cord injuries and brain injured clients go and I was operated on for two days um, because there was such severe injury to the vertebrae they they were all crushed um, I had bone taken out of my hip and blah 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 so anyway when I woke up from all of that um, I tell this in my book which I won't go into now but I was intubated I would have been ventilated uh, in that moment, I said, no, I, I want to try and breathe on my own. So that was kind of the beginning of my taking charge. At the same time, they came in and gave me my prognosis, and they say, you may never be able to breathe on your own. Um, you won't ever be able to use your arms again. This is um, pretty much the most severe diagnosis of quadriplegia, which, you know, is... Um, uh, limited everything from the neck down um, so that was what I was given and I can remember my mom's face when the doctors you know came in and gave us the news uh, and I can't imagine you know as a mother what that must have felt like for her for me in the moment it was um, uh, quite unfathomable I couldn't fathom it uh, and I didn't really want to at the time and so I just put it over into a little drawer and left it there with, you know, a few other things that I kind of had to leave over there through the rest of my recovery. Wow. Um, so, uh, but obviously, um, you're, you've, you've proven them wrong because you, were, you started teaching again uh, yoga um, from your wheelchair, correct? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the bigger thing, um, I started breathing again on my own immediately. Um, from that point forward, I I did pranayama every night in the hospital bed. I, you know, I took it upon myself to um, to respond to this as the sort of the premise that I had taken into it with, um, which was the body intelligence is way more um, informed than I about what it needs and, and what to do in this situation. And I'm going to let it guide me. And I, I really, you know, I mean, nobody's ever paralyzed prior to being paralyzed. But I, I didn't want to take any diagnosis or prognosis or concept of what this was um, at face um value I wanted to be able to um to let my body and let the life force really tell me and guide me in this regard so yeah I I have you know um I don't like to say proven them wrong I think what I'd like to say is I'm proving that the life force is right and that this is what we need to pay attention to in the medical system 
this is what we need to pay attention to in our own journeys um, and tapping into the intelligence of that life force and humbling ourselves to it and, and really um, finding ways to, to harness it and to, to align with it so that we can co-create with it is, is really what the journey has been for me. It's a, it's a very inspirational story, a very moving story. Uh, what, um, for anyone who might be listening to this podcast, uh, is there any advice that you might want to pass on from your own experience? Um, well, I, I think we need to all, you know, really touch into our hearts. And when, when I feel my own heartbeat, I can't help but well up with tears. Like this is, the, you know, this beating heart of ours, this um, powerful force that really is within us, around us, and part of us, and part of what we are, part of what everything in the universe is, is um, it's just special, and we need to have an intimate relationship with it, no matter what avenue that may take through yoga through you know nature through dance through meditation through whatever form that is um we need to tune into that channel um now i was lucky probably you know at seven that i had such a direct line um you know but i have to work at that still like it's like a radio station you know you maybe you know aren't always you know exactly tuned in and, you know, our culture and our lives are very kind of um, distractive in the way that it's easy to tune out or, or to not to tune into to the quiet, very silent presence of the life force and the, um, you know, the divine life that sort of imbues all of us. So I think that's the biggest lesson that I could pass on is that it's available to everybody. It's not, um, doesn't take rocket science to access. Um, it's the channel that's, you know, sometimes a little bit um, crowded over in, in some people's um, mechanisms because of, you know, a lot of distraction and a lot of you know, other things. But that doesn't mean it's not there. And the more you tune in, the more... Um, that channel is always kind of on the dial and it's much easier than uh, with a regular practice to to make better choices to understand what you need to um, respond with um, conscious you know um, engagement and intelligence rather than react re reactionary sort of emotions or ideas about you know things um so that would be my advice well thank mary joe in a couple of minutes you have articulated uh, uh extremely well something that i've always uh struggled struggled to convey to other people uh or about my own particular journey but uh, my own um thinking feelings um, belief, uh, faith um, in this divine force, this divine life, uh, which some people call um, creator or God or Brahman or 
Krishna, um, and you've done it without using lab using any labels and, and from a place of your own inner wisdom. So I, I really thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Um, so where are you at now in your life uh, and where are you going? In, where do you hope to go in the future? Can you share a, little, a few minutes of that before we, we wrap this up? I'd love to, thanks. Uh, I, I, you know, in a, a very wonderful sort of uh, natural course of events due to being um, exposed to what it's like to have a disability, I've become quite involved in the civic and um, advocacy work around um, disability, and, and it's quite an interesting um, area. Um, so access and inclusion. So I, I do. I'm on the city council in Vancouver. Um, I I work now for the Rick Hansen Foundation in that area. Um, and I also have adapt um, adapted my life to to be very um, engaged and productive despite you know my own disability. And I think that um, offers some good insight for a lot of people. So I, I've written a book. Embodying the energy of paralysis, um, why losing the physical made me a better yogi. That's kind of a working title right now. And so I'm working on a book. I'm almost finished it right now. Um, I'm, so I've developed an adaptive yoga training program, um, which I love teaching. And it's for anybody, really. Um, this is not about necessarily just a disabled uh, client, but anybody that doesn't really fit into the hot yoga, pump it up kind of yoga scene that's going on now. Um, and I, I'm doing lots of fun, explorative things in myself because I, I, I like to paint more and I'd like to, uh, I'd like to sing more and write more that isn't necessarily about a book. So just fun, uh, creative projects. Well, I, I, you know, I look forward to um, buying your book when it's finalized. And would you um, give us the um, URL for your website, please? Uh, so it's www.maryjo.com. Mary Jo has a dash, so it's M-A-R-Y dash J-O. Excellent. Well, Mary Jo, I really uh, uh, appreciate your giving us your, your uh, time this morning. And um, uh, thanks very much. Um, is there anything else you'd like to say? Uh, well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. And, uh, and everybody, um, just be well and uh, feel your heart and, uh, and know that you are, you know, one with that force. Great. Okay. Thanks very much, Mary Jo. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Comeback Journeys in Recovery with David Shadbolt. For more podcast episodes and blog posts, or to subscribe to my newsletter, please visit www.peaksymmetry.com. Peak, P-E-A-K, symmetry, S-Y-M-M-E-T-R-Y.com. Subscribers to the Peak Symmetry newsletter will receive a free download of a guided meditation. You can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes. Thanks for listening.